Our first presenter will be Dr. Michael Davis from the Retina Institute of California. Dr. Davis completed his undergraduate and medical degrees through an accelerated program at Kent State University and the Northeastern Ohio University College of Medicine. He graduated summa cum laude with the Bachelor's of Science degree from Kent State University. After earning his medical degree, Dr. Davis completed his internship and his ophthalmology residency at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, where he served as chief resident. Dr. Davis specializes in the medical and surgical management of many retinal conditions, including diabetic retinopathy, macular, macular degenerations, macular holes, and retinal detachment. He is a member of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, the American Society of Retinal Specialists, the Association for Research in Vision and Ophthalmology, and many other high-profile professional organizations. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Michael Davis. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Can everyone hear me in the back? All right. I apologize, I'm just getting over a cold, so if my voice sounds a little funny this morning, that's why. Um, this morning I'm going to be talking about age-related macular degeneration. Um, as For those of you who have heard me speak before, if you have questions during my presentation, I'm okay with you shouting them out. Um, but again, as always, please don't ask any uh, personal um, questions about your own personal health. Just make them general questions if possible. So before we can talk about age-related macular degeneration, we need to learn a little bit more about the eye so we can understand it a little bit better. First, we need to know what the retina is. We were told that I'm a retina specialist, so what does that mean? Well, the retina is the seeing tissue that lines the inside wall of the eye. So if we were pretending like this room were the eye and we were standing inside the eye, the retina would be like wallpaper coating the walls of the eye. And that's exactly what it does. It lines the inside wall of the eye, and it's the seeing tissue of the eye. Another way to think about this is if you think of the eye like a camera, the film of the camera would be analogous to the retina. So it's the tissue that collects the data and then sends it to the brain so that your eye can... It converts light and images into electrical signal and carries it through the optic nerve to the brain, and that's how you see. So we talked about macular degeneration, so now you ask, what's the macula? Well, the macula isn't a specific structure in the eye, per se, but it's a region of the retina. It's basically the very center part of the retina that does your fine vision. So when you read letters or things like that, you're using the macula, the center part of your vision. So what is age-related macular degeneration? Well, it's a degenerative condition, meaning it's a breakdown of the retina as people get older, um, and it causes a loss of central vision and can lead to blindness. It doesn't lead to complete blindness. It basically leads to central loss of vision, but most patients, even with advanced macular degeneration, will still have good peripheral vision or good side vision. There are other forms of macular degeneration, um, but this morning we're basically going to just talk about the age-related form, um, as it is the leading cause of blindness in patients in the United States over the age of 50. So who gets age-related macular degeneration? Well, as the name implies, people who get, as you get older, you have a higher risk of developing macular degeneration, so it's age-related. Generally, it's uncommon before the age of 50 and becomes very common after the age of 80. So between 50 and 80 is kind of where there's an acceleration of people developing macular degeneration. It's more common in females. and It's also more common in less pigmented race. So Caucasians have the highest risk for age-related macular degeneration. 
This is a graph showing the prevalence as patients get older. And as I mentioned, it starts around the age of 50. And by the age of 80, which is this line right here, it accelerates very quickly. So it's not an, a disease of the young. It's more common after 50 and especially more common in the 70s and 80s as you get older. This other graph here shows men versus women. As you can see, women have about a two times chance of developing macular degeneration than men do. Other risk factors, cigarette smoking. So one of the main things I tell all my patients is to stop smoking. Um, smoking cigarettes increases your risk of macular degeneration by about seven times. So it's definitely a very high risk factor uh, for developing age-related macular degeneration. And also there's an association with high blood pressure. So patients with a history of high blood pressure, um, I encourage them to maintain good control of that if they have signs of macular degeneration. It's thought that it's years and years of UV light or sun exposure that affects it which is why Caucasians are a little bit more at a higher risk for it because there's less pigmentation in your skin and there's less pigmentation in the uh, tissue under the retina, so there's less protection against UV radiation in uh, white patients. Other risk factors are dietary factors. So diets associated with high fat, high cholesterol, and obesity, um, there's a higher risk of developing macular degeneration in those patients as well. Protective factors are high levels of zinc, vitamin E, beta-carotene, and carotenoids. So, and basically just a low-fat, healthy diet with fish and green leafy vegetables. There are some vitamins for macular degeneration, which I'll go over in just a minute, too. And there's also a genetic component. It's thought that about 60 to 70% of uh, macular degeneration is due to genetics. Um, the general population over the age of 80 has about a 1 in 4 chance, or I'm sorry, a 10% chance of developing macular degeneration. But if you have a first-degree relative, so mother, daughter, brother, sister, with macular degeneration, your risk increases four times. So instead of a 10% risk, you have a 40% risk. So patients with family history of macular degeneration need to be screened a little bit more closely so that if there's any signs of it, they can be followed more closely so that if we see any changes, we can catch them early and treat it early if need be. There are a couple genetic tests that were available for macular degeneration. They haven't caught on quite as much as um, originally thought, mainly because it tells you that you have a high risk for it, but it doesn't. there's really no treatment once you learn that you have a high risk. So um, at this point, the genetic tests are not that useful and they're not recommended as part of the routine screening. But I have a feeling that at some point in the future, we'll understand the genetics of it more and be able to target therapies and target drugs to patients with certain genetic factors. So genetics will definitely play a role in the treatment and diagnosis in the future. But at this point, um, it's not as recommended as, as it would be. So how many people in the United States have macular degeneration? Well, there is about 7.5 million patients in the United States that have the very early stages of macular degeneration. About 3.5 million, so about half of those patients, also have high-risk dry changes. And I'll go over the difference between wet and dry macular degeneration in just a minute. And about 1 million have advanced dry macular degeneration, and about another million have advanced wet macular degeneration. And these numbers are increasing um, exponentially as the population gets older and older. Medical treatments are much better, so the population as a whole is starting to live a lot longer. So as you live longer, um, diseases that affect you at an older age become more prevalent. This graph here shows the difference between this left side is the year 2000, this is the number of patients with advanced macular degeneration, about 1.75 million. And it's predicted by the year 2020, there will be almost 3 million patients. So 
about a 60% increase in a 10 or a 20 year span in the prevalence of advanced macular degeneration. So it's definitely a very big problem. Um, and that's why there's a lot of research going on to help prevent it and uh, for treatment, which we're doing at our center. So I mentioned before different types of macular degeneration. There aren't really two different types of macular degeneration. They're really one disease, just a different spectrum of disease, a more mild form and a more advanced form. The dry form is the most common kind, and it's usually less severe. And about 10% of the population over the age of 55 has signs of dry macular degeneration. The wet form is more severe and usually causes a sudden vision loss. And about 10% of patients who present with the dry form will go on to form the wet form. So what do we see in patients with what we call dry macular degeneration? Well, the basic lesion is called the drusen, which if you can see it here, there are these little yellow spots that build up in the retina. So when we look inside our patient's eyes at their visit, we can sometimes see little yellow spots under the retina. And what these are, build up of waste material over years and years. So as the patients get older, their retina becomes less efficient at getting rid of waste material and it starts to build up under the retina. The analogy to this is age spots on the hand. So when I see a patient with this, I tell them, just like you can get age spots on your hand as you get older, you can get age spots in the back of your eye. And that's a good way for them to understand kind of what's going on in their eye. Patients can have mild changes, so just a few little yellow spots. They can have, start to have moderate changes where they get bigger yellow spots and parts of the retina that start to wear away, or more severe changes where the yellow spots become so confluent or grouped together that they actually get a wearing away of the retina, and they can develop severe vision loss even with the dry form. When the dry form uh, leads to vision loss, they develop something called atrophy or a wearing away of the retina. And basically, you lose a complete area of the retina right in the center of the vision. A good way to think about this is if you think about your retina like this carpet here, if somebody walked up and down this carpet for 80 years, they'd wear a, basically a wear away an area of the carpet. And that's similar to what happens in the center of vision as some patients get older. Their carpet gets worn away, so it doesn't function as well. And when this happens, unfortunately, at this time, we don't have very good treatments for it. Um, we're working on some trials, which I'll talk about later, but at this point, for the dry form of macular degeneration, if there's severe vision loss, there's really no effective treatment. Now, the wet form of macular degeneration, as I mentioned, it's not really a separate type or um, a separate form, but it's more of a progression of the dry macular degeneration. What happens when you get these weak areas under the retina, you can get abnormal blood vessels that start to grow and bleed and they can produce blood under the retina or fluid under the retina, and that's why we call it the wet form, because there's water under the retina or blood under the retina. When that happens, it causes usually a sudden loss of vision. So patients who are being followed for macular degeneration, we tell them that if they have a sudden change in vision, either a new black spot right in the center of their vision, or if things start to look very wiggly or distorted, they need to come in, because it may mean that they're bleeding under the This is just a diagram of the blood vessels growing, and what I tell patients, you know, they've had the dry form before. They've had these weak areas. If you think about it like a sidewalk with cracks in it, at some point a weed could grow up through one of the cracks. And that's what these blood vessels are like. They're like bad weeds growing through the cracks under the retina that lead to bleeding and severe vision loss. So why do we differentiate between the two, between the dry form and the wet form? Well, one is for prognosis or how well patients are going to do. In general, patients with the dry form fare much better. They usually do not have severe vision loss, although a small percentage of them can go on to develop severe vision loss. 
whereas the wet generally has a poor prognosis. If it's not treated, it will lead to severe and permanent uh, central vision loss. It's also important for treatment. Like I mentioned with the dry form, we really don't have an effective treatment. We talk about lifestyle modifications, so stop smoking, and dietary modifications, just you know, losing weight, eating a low-fat diet, um, and there's some vitamins that I'll talk about in just a minute that we recommend for these patients. But for the wet form, they do require treatment. Um, in the past, we used to use laser or cold laser, but today the mainstay of treatment is injections of medications into the eye, and there's about three different medicines that we use, um, but there is an effective treatment, and it can be very effective, especially if you catch it early enough. So if, how do we diagnose macular degeneration as ophthalmologists and retina specialists? Well, we check the patient's vision when they come, and we check their eye pressure, and then we dilate the patient's eyes, which is everyone's favorite part about going to the eye doctor, getting your eyes dilated. And then we do a complete eye exam. We look in your eye with special lenses and bright, bright lights. And oftentimes, just from the exam, we can get an idea of whether or not you have signs of macular degeneration and whether it might be dry or the, whether it's gone on to form the wet form. Often we'll do special testing. There's special scans of the retina we can do called an optical coherence tomography, an OCT. It's almost like a CAT scan of the retina. We do some pictures of the eye. And then often we'll also do a special test where we inject um, a dye through a blood vessel in your arm or in your hand and then take a series of pictures in the back of the eyes. And this test is called a fluorescein angiogram. Um, like I said, these are special pictures where we inject dye through a blood vessel in your arm or in your hand. And then we take high-resolution images of the retina. And this is really the gold standard of determining whether there's dry macular degeneration versus the wet form of macular degeneration. This is an image of the optical coherence tomography, which is similar to like a CAT scan or an ultrasound of the retina. And it can really take very high-resolution pictures of the retina. And we can often tell from this image exactly what's going on and if there's um, any leakage or bleeding, which this patient has dry macular degeneration. This little bump here, that's a drusen. So when I looked in this patient's eye, I'd be able to see a little yellow spot where this little bump under the retina is there. This next picture is somebody with wet macular degeneration. As you can see, there's a lot of black spaces here. This is fluid in the retina. There's some bleeding here and some fluid under the retina here. So just there's a lot going on in this image. So now you've been told that you have macular degeneration by your ophthalmologist, and they tell you that you have the dry form. And that, like I said, the first thing I tell my patients is stop smoking. Um, like I said, there's a seven times risk chance of progression of macular degeneration with smoking. So I definitely encourage all my patients, and especially patients with a family history, to stop smoking as early as possible. I also talk to them about dietary modifications, green leafy vegetables, uh, a lot of fish. Um, and if they have high-risk characteristics, I may recommend that they take some special eye vitamins. Um, and these were based on a big study done by the National Institute of Health, um, and it's called the Age-Related Eye Disease Study, or abbreviated AREDS, or the ARIDS study. And the second phase of the study was uh, performed and completed. So there's a new formulation of vitamin called the ARIDS-2 formula. There's several different companies that make this. But again, I only recommend taking this if you've been told that you have um, age-related macular degeneration, as this has not been shown to be helpful in other eye conditions. And then the other thing that I recommend my patients to do is to monitor their vision very carefully. If they have high-risk characteristics, I recommend that they do it daily because the wet form can happen very suddenly. They may go to bed one night and the vision is completely normal, wake up the next morning, and they may have converted to the wet form overnight. That's not uncommon. 
One thing that I give all my patients with macular degeneration is called an Amsler grid. It looks like a piece of graph paper with a little dot in the middle. And what they do is I want the patients to check each eye individually and make sure that it still looks like a piece of graph paper where the lines are straight. If it starts to look distorted or bent like this here in this image, it could mean that they have the wet form or they're starting to develop the wet form. And that's something that I want them to call my office and get in within a day or two so that we can check and make sure. And if they have gone on to develop the wet form, then we would offer treatment for them. So now you're at the doctor's office and they tell you that you have wet macular degeneration. Well, as far as the diet and vitamins, I still make the same recommendations as the dry patients. But we also have an effective treatment. You need to stop the bleeding, stop the fluid that's under the retina. And to do that, we do injections of medications into the eye. I know it sounds awful getting a shot in the eye. As you were all younger, it was like pinch, poke, needle in your eye. It was something you, everybody said as one of the ways to get back at your mortal enemies. But I promise you, it does not, you know, we numb the eye very, very well. And 99.9% .9 of patients that I give their first injection to, they're really surprised that even when the injection's over, they're always like, that was it. So it's not as terrible of a thing to go through as possible. I personally have not had one, but from experience in watching patients, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but but the, um, there are three different medicines that we use. They're called Avast and Lucentis Arlea. Um, they're basically monthly injections of these medicines, so patients are coming in monthly for the injections. Once the bleeding stops, we often will stop the injections, but they're always at a lifetime risk of developing more bleeding again, so we still monitor them very closely. And once it's bled once, it can always bleed again. And then also their other eyes at a higher risk for bleeding as well, so they need very close monitoring, at least monthly, probably for the rest of their lives. I always tell my patients this is a chronic illness. Unfortunately, at this time, we don't have a cure. None of the treatments we provide for macular degeneration cure the disease. It just treats the disease. Now, I mentioned there are no effective treatments for the dry form of macular degeneration. We are working on, there's a lot of different trials going on to develop this. One of the more exciting ones that we're involved with at the Retina Institute is a, uh, a stem cell trial um, that is for patients with advanced dry macular degeneration. During the study, what we do is we inject um, uh, embryonic stem cells or umbilical stem cells underneath the retina and try to regenerate the retinal pigment epithelium. Um, we're currently, um, there was a hold put on it to modify the surgical technique, but that has now been approved. So we will be going on to the second phase of the study um, shortly. So that's one of the big trials that we're involved with. It's very exciting that could really change the future of macular degeneration, because at this point, like I said, there's unfortunately no effective treatment once patients develop advanced dry macular degeneration. We are also um, involved in several other trials for wet macular degeneration. Some of these are new medications to be in injected in the eye. Um, there's also some topical eye drops that are looked, being looked at um, to, as an adjunct therapy to uh, intravitreal injections or in, uh, in, uh, in the eye injections. Um, and also some pills that are being looked at as well. So there's a lot of research being done here, um, as I said, because this is a very much increasing um, problem. It affects a lot of patients uh, in the United States. So we definitely want you know, more effective treatments and longer-lasting treatments. As I said, most patients will need an injection once a month, and if they have both eyes affected, they may be coming in every, other, you know, every two weeks getting an injection in each, in each eye. Um, so if we can find a therapy that will either last longer or be a little bit easier for the patients to tolerate, that would definitely be okay. That concludes my presentation. Um, I think we have a few minutes for some questions.
They'll be bringing a mic around, so right here. I want to ask about the secondhand smoke. Uh-huh. Does, does that affect also the, the eye? It does, yes. So, I mean, there's a lot of studies being done that show that secondhand smoke is, you know, just as bad as being a smoker yourself, especially when you're in a small enclosed space. So it would have the same effects on, on the eyes as it would other parts of the body, like the lungs and things like that as well. Thank you very much. What is the difference between Avastin, I believe, Vegetrap, and there's another one? So there's um, Avastin, uh, Lucentis, and Ilea. Okay. Um, the Avastin and Lucentis are um, essentially the same. The Lucentis is a, basically a small fragment of the Avastin. Um, there was a large study done that compared them head-to-head that showed that they were pretty much equivalent um, in their treatment. And then there's an, a, another medicine, Ilea, which works a little bit differently. Um, it's called a VEGF trap medication. Yeah. Um, and it... Um, it works in a little bit of a different way. It still works on the same molecule as the other two, but it works in a little bit of a different mechanism. And it has been shown that it can, in some patients, go to every other month dosing rather than monthly dosing like the other two. The only reason I'm asking is because of insurance reasons. That's why. Right. So the other thing is the cost of the medications. Okay. So Avastin was originally used for, it's a cancer medication, so it was originally used yeah. for colon cancer and breast cancer. Um, and the amount that they use, and it was injected through intravenously, and that's actually how it was discovered for use in the eye. Um, in Florida, there were some patients with macular degeneration that were being treated for cancer, and their eye doctor realized that their macular degeneration was getting better as they were getting these Avastin treatments intravenously. So he actually started using it intravenously for macular degeneration patients, but then thought, well, why you know, subject the whole body to this when I can take a small portion of it and inject it directly in the eye? So we use about one four hundredth of the dose to inject in the eye. So the cost of the Avastin is much less than the other medicines. It's anywhere, it's about $50 a dose, whereas the other two medications are about $2,000 a dose. So, so depending on insurance and things like that, generally I always start with the Avastin because in most patients, in 90%, 95% of patients, they respond to the Avastin, and that's the only medication they need. If they don't respond to it, then we work with the insurance to get the other, one of the other two covered and switch them to the other two. Thank you, doctor, for your presentation. I would like to know whether you could say a few words about uh, diabetic retinopathy. Did you have a specific question about it? Yes. Uh, uh, does re- diabetic retinopathy, would uh, stem cells in the future help people who suffer from diabetic retinopathy? It may, but um, at this time, the way that the way the stem cells are going to be used for the macular degeneration is because it causes a wearing away of the tissue under the retina, so the stem cells are being put there to regrow that area of wearing away. Whereas with diabetic retinopathy, the main issue is deterioration of the blood vessels, and you get leaky blood vessels. So at this point, I'm not aware of any stem cell treatment for the diabetic retinopathy, but certainly you know, in the future, if they can uh, somehow develop stem cells to regrow blood vessels or um, strengthen blood vessels, that could be a potential option, yes. Um, could you speak to the uh, use of the telescopic lens for surgical implant for macular degeneration? Yeah, so um, Centrocyte, they have a booth here. 
Um, so there is a new telescopic lens for patients with advanced macular degeneration. Um, it's approved for patients over the age of 65 on Medicare. Um, and what it does is, and you cannot have had cataract surgery. So any patient that's had cataract surgery um, cannot have this implanted because the method of implanting it is similar to what they would do for cataract surgery. So they go in, they take the lens or the cataract out, and then implant this lens. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than a straightforward cataract surgery because the implant is bigger. It's a little bit thicker. Um, and what it does is it magnifies the image in one of the eyes so that it doesn't get rid of the blind spot, but what it does is it makes the image that much bigger so that the blind spot becomes smaller in, re in, you know, in comparison to the image. Um, and we are one of the sites for CentraSite, so if you're interested, if you come to one of our offices and let us, and if we think that you're a good candidate, then we refer you through um, the process. The process of it, you see a low vision um, optometrist, you also see occupational therapy, because um, there is a learning curve to being able to function with the telescope. Um, in the eye with the telescope, you will lose peripheral vision because it's mainly focusing on the center part of the retina. So they make sure that your other eye has good peripheral vision because you'll use the other eye more for the peripheral vision, the eye with the telescope more for the central vision. Hi, doctor. I have a question. Do you know when people find it Stargardt disease treatment? When do they get treatment for Stargardt's? Yes. Please explain a little bit. So Stargardt's is a form of macular degeneration. It's an inherited form of macular degeneration. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of effective treatment unless the patients start to develop bleeding like they do in um, age-related macular degeneration. And then if they do, then they would get shots just like in age-related macular degeneration. Um, but it's usually discovered at a younger age, so usually in their 20s or 30s, they start to have some vision problems from it in Stargardt's, whereas in this disease, it's more in older patients that develop problems. How can one best uh, qualify for a clinical trial? Where would you go to get that information? So if you come to any of our offices, you know, we're, all of our physicians are aware of all the trials that we're involved with. So if we um, see you as a patient and we think that you're a good candidate, then what we do is we notify our research department, which we basically have two research departments because we're a pretty large um, practice. So our main one is in Arcadia. So for the L.A. area, it's in Arcadia. And for the Palm Springs area, it's in our Palm Desert office. Um, if there's issues with transportation, a lot of times the study sponsors, the, you know, the companies that are putting on the studies, will help with transportation as well. And most of the studies also have a small stipend you know, to compensate you for your time um, as well for participating in the trial. Uh, doctor, uh, I'll prefix my uh, question by saying I'm both hearing and sight impaired, so I may have missed what you said. Okay. My question is, in my left eye, I have a hole in the retina, and my question is, has the research advanced far enough to know there's a, a method of correcting a hole in the retina? So you have, is it a macular hole? I have hole? macular degeneration as well. Right, but is the hole in your retina, is it right in the center of vision? I cannot see out of my left eye at okay. all. So if you have what's called a macular hole, this is a hole that develops right in the middle of the retina, basically in the same area where macular degeneration affects. Um, and we do have effective treatment for it, depending on, you know, if it's been there for a long time, 
oftentimes they won't recommend treatment because there's a low chance of getting the hole to close or the vision to get better. But if it's more recent, you know, less than a year or so, there is an effective treatment where we do a surgery and put a gas bubble in the eye to get the hole to close. Um, you mentioned something about the optical nerve. Yes. Um, you are still pursuing the, the retina to be attached to the optical nerve? So the, the retina, all the cells in the retina basically go back to the optic nerve. So the optic nerve is the cable that carries the cells and the image from the retina back to the brain. The retina is attached. Okay. But my you have the a problem optical with... nerve is damaged. Okay. And so is any way you guys doing studies on... We... we... Um, our group in, uh, specifically are not doing studies on, you know, regenerating the optic nerve, but I'm sure there are a lot of uh, places out there. That's a little bit more, you know, we mainly deal with the retina, um, but we're not specifically doing anything for the optic nerve, no. One more question. Right here. Okay. Okay, you mentioned something about the dry macular degeneration becoming yes. the wet. Correct. But is there... Um, so that wet macular degeneration becomes dry macular... Uh, degeneration also and uh, so if so uh, is that part of the uh, phenomena the the symptoms of it is has to do with like you see the uh, uh, black fish net kind of visions I'm talking about my mother who has a macular degeneration so the once somebody has the wet form of macular degeneration I always say that they have the wet form, but it can dry up with treatment. So it may not be actively bleeding right. or have active fluid, so they may not need treatment. Right. But I still always say that they have the wet form. I see. You know, I still, once, they, once they've converted to wet, I, I just say that it's still wet because they're at a high risk for re-bleeding and things like that. So it's not dry. It doesn't become dry. Right. I mean, we say that it, it's dried up, but yeah. it's, I mean, it's, Really, okay. it's just semantics. But so, so what's that fishnet vision? Fish like a black fishnet kind of a visual image that she sees. What's that? Um, so there, so she's seeing images and images her of a, whenever she's tired or something, she sees the image of a fishnet, black fishnet. So there's a syndrome called the Charles Bonnet syndrome, uh -huh. where patients with vision loss, with severe vision loss. Um, it's common in macular degeneration, glaucoma, sometimes patients with diabetes, where they can get visual hallucinations. So some people see patterns. So some people see buildings or things like that. Some people even see people's faces or um, But this is abstract, animals. abstract. Right, so some people have abstract. So it, it sounds like she may be having what's called Charles Bonnet syndrome. Charles Bonnet syndrome. Usually it's short-lived. Usually it only lasts six months once oh. you have the symptoms. Uh -huh. um, but I have a couple patients that have it very, very severe, um, and I've referred them to. Um, there are some medications that you can use that sometimes will help it. Um, they're anti-psychotic you know, anti medications, not that, you know, the you know, there's no issue with psychosis or anything like that, but some of the properties of them will help with these hallucinations. So, yeah. I mean, the big thing is to just reassure patients that they aren't going crazy, that this is a normal, not okay. normal, but it is a common phenomenon that patients with vision loss can sometimes undergo. Well, and I okay. think oftentimes once you reassure patients that it's something that other people go through, the anxiety of it at least calms down. Because I think what happens is a lot of patients that get these symptoms are afraid to tell anyone because they think that they might be going crazy because they're seeing things that they know aren't there. But in reality, it's just the brain playing tricks on them because 
the eyes are no longer seeing, and it, the eye, you know, the retina wants to see or the brain wants to see, so it basically makes up images for them to see. It's like a black fishnet. It can be, yeah. Okay, so it's not. It has no form. It's just a very abstract form. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it can present. So, so it comes and goes. Right. But it could be. Uh, it sounds like it's probably this condition called Charles Benet syndrome. Okay. Yeah. And if then, it's just if it comes and goes, I would just reassure her, and I wouldn't go on the medicines if it's not all the time. The patients I put on the medicine are, you know, they're bothered by it all yeah. day, every day, and you know. I see. Because the medicines have a lot of side effects too. Okay. So. Thank you, doctor. You're welcome. All right, thank you very much, everyone.